0: Well, good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 20 April 2023. Um, this is going to be immunoepigenetics number 57. I want to finish off a little bit about dendritic cells, particularly about the clinical aspects of disease, and then we're going to further elaborate various aspects of immune cell interactions. Ultimately, bringing back up the whole epigenetic control over transcription factor expression and then mediation of ultimate either differentiation, de-differentiation of immune cells or indeed programmed cell death. So this is just another finishing off about dendritic cells. There is a dendritic cell leukemia and I want to bring this up. You have blastic Plasma cytoid dendritic cell neoplasms. Now, those are probably the major component of hematopoietic neoplasm, particularly in a very distinct acute leukemia. Now, normally these are described as CD4 positive cutaneous lymphomas because they have high expression of uh, several proteins. The major one, I think you'll recall from previous discussions, is CD56. Remember the CD56 Bright and CD56 Dim lectures? Go back about 10 lectures and you can uh, recap that. Now, those were also known as those kinds of neoplasias leading to cancers, particularly this, this cutaneous lymphoma another subdivision of what's known as blastic natural killer cell leukemia lymphomas or agranular CD4 positive, CD56 positive, bright hematodermic neoplasms. And even in the oldest literature, this is where I first encountered it, CD4 positive natural killer cell leukemia. Now, with all those extra names, you might understand because that's because they carry multiple phenotypes, which are very interesting because here you're looking at a dedifferentiation differentiation of two innate like immune cells that may cooperate to change their phenotype from a dendritic cell to a natural killer cell. Yes, that's right. Now, this particular dendritic cell leukemia is rare. It can occur at any age, and it is both a skin and then the much much more lethal bone marrow disease. Uh, and either way, the bone marrow uh, involvement gives very poor prognosis. So, this blastic plasma cytoid dendritic cell neoplasm (BPDCN) is associated with a very complex genotype karyotype uh, which is most often synonymous with many deletions of the tumor suppressor genes but also the mutations specifically are involved in dna methylation and or various other forms of chromatin retailing. some epigenetic some non-epigenetic So where do you get these neoplastic cells? First of all, there's a potential of a leukemic multi-hemopoietic stem cell that can differentiate and mature into a myeloid lineage. And that forms the basis of the phenotypic classification of what is normally known as acute and chronic myelogenous leukemias. Now this BPDCN initially was thought to be uh, derived from killer cells, natural killer cells. But now it's been shown because of phenotypic um, examination that this particular uh, neoplasia actually forms from plasma cytoid dendritic cells, PDCs. Now, you know, the DCs themselves. we talked about this just last time, I think can come from two different major subsets one is the plasma cytoid dc pdc and the other of course is the classical myeloid dc or small mdc's now the pdc's are actually a th2 type dendritic cell precursor and they're characterized most often because uh uh, because of how they produce alpha interferon. And ultimately, they're going to differentiate terminally into dendritic cells. So these PDCs are defined by their lineage markers, and there's a whole host of them. There's lin-HLA-DR, there's CD56, CD123, and CD56, they're minus, as well as the HLA- DR, that's another receptor, positive, LIN-, and ultimately also CD123 positive, CD11C negative. So those are all considered to be BPDCNs with that particular phenotype. Now in that subset of these uh, dendritic cell neoplasms, because you can describe a neoplasm in different immune cells. You understand? Because this is all just characteristic of the proteins, right? Now, these BPD-CNs have a distinctive cutaneous plus bone marrow tropism. You have proliferating cells. Obviously, they're going to derive from the immediate precursors. Now, I just told you what the final phenotype was, and I also told you at the beginning, the pre, the precursor is CD4 positive, CD56 positive bright. Now, those can be, again, precursors of PDCs, but they're in a minor population or subpopulation of that conventional phenotype that I just gave you, which involves many of those proteins being either expressed or not expressed, depending on the various subtype categorizations. So it's most likely that the blastic plasmacytoid dendritic cell neoplasm has a myeloid lineage, and it probably comes from resting, that's right, resting PDCs, okay? Again, those are plasmacytoid dendritic cells. Now there's a caveat there, you have that CD56 positive bright dendritic cell population. And of course, because they are uh, cytoid dendritic cells, they're going to be a mixed set. <laughs> and that means that you're going to have some alteration in global gene expression. So now it's suggested that the CD4 positive, CD56 positive bright neoplasm is actually nothing more than the tumor counterpart of CD56 positive MDC cells. Remember, those are the myeloid dendritic cells and not normally plasma cytoid. okay? Now, if that's not confusing enough, uh, and I'm not trying to make it confusing, I'm just trying to let you know the cell type, phen- the phenotypes of these cells is still being sorted out. And, you know, the phenotype is going to be ultimately a biochemical phenotype. And in this case, a patho-biochemical phenotype. That's why it's important to sort this out. Now, I'm going to get into a discussion that is going to bring about a lot of different genes we talked about before. Uh, And so bear with me. Remember what ID2 was. That ID2 is a transcriptional regulator, but it lacks that basic DNA binding domain. Now, that means it negatively regulates the basic helix loop helix transcription factors. And there are many of those involved in immune cell differentiation. Now... Those B-H-L-H transcription factors typically form, you'll recall, heterodimers. And so these ID2 transcriptional regulators inhibit that heterodimerization and then subsequent DNA binding, and ultimately phenotypically read out their transcriptional activity. That means the transcriptional activity of the B-H-L-H type transcription factor. Okay. Now, ID2, again, that polypeptide, which is a transcriptional regulator, a negative regulator, has been found in many conventional canonical processes. Normal cell growth, but also senescence, differentiation, apoptosis, and I mentioned these before, angiogenesis, and neoplastic transformation, okay? In fact, when the ID2 is functioning correctly, it actually inhibits skeletal muscle and cardiac myocyte differentiation because you know that those final differentiations can lead to neoplasias, okay? So it doesn't mean ID2 is always associated with neoplasia. It's probably controlling it. So mutations in that gene, therefore, would disrupt that normal control process, okay? Now, we're going to get back to these in a minute, but now I want to remind you of another entire um, pharmacotherapeutic, okay? There is something called, right, the CAR-T. Now, the CAR-T is the chimeric antigen receptor T-cell pharmacotherapy. Okay, so CAR-T cell therapy has had a tremendous success in some of these, including the one I was just mentioning to you, hematological malignancies. However, CAR-T cells don't seem to function. Remember, these are chimeric antigen receptors, okay? So if you have a chimeric antigen receptor, that means you built it as a recombinatorial polypeptide, put it into T cells so that it's a chimeric antigen receptor. Now, what's that going to do? That's going to mean that that CAR-T cell is going to be regulated by a host of modifiable antigens because the receptor itself is chimeric. At the Polypeptide sequence level, okay? So I'm telling you, those CAR-T antigen receptor T-cell therapies, pharmacotherapies, are pretty good for hematological malignancies, but they don't do very well in solid tumors. Now, why is that? It's because the CAR-T cell becomes energic. That means you get exhaustion of cell replication, activation, and agency. And that seems to occur in the solid tumor microenvironment. All right, so if you look at mesothelin-redirected CAR T cells that are used in pancreatic cancer therapies, you determine that there is a continuous antigen exposure that essentially recapitulates all the features of T-cell energy, okay? Now, beyond that, there's a specific molecular signature, which actually defines chimeric antigen receptors and indeed the associated, as you might guess, T-cell receptor dysregulation. And that's going to involve transcription factors, which are have been a topic many times at authentic biochemistry. The SOX 4 and one of those IDs, but ID3, because they are going to be very important and significant in CAR T cell exhaustion, that is energy. Okay. So it appears that the tumor cell environment is regulating the expression of these transcription factors sox4 and id3 that those are involved in car t associated cell exhaustion energy which makes them less potent in solid tumor pharmacotherapy okay now these car t cells they're customized for each individual patient you have to understand as this is part of the Um, pharmacology of these recombinatorial T-cells. Now, the way you make a CAR-T is you collect T-cells from a patient, and then you essentially reverse recombinatorially engineer them. This is all done, again, in cell culture. And so, ultimately, that car right the chimeric antigen receptor is going to be a polypeptide that's going to be on the surface of the t cell that's why and then they become chimeric antigen receptors or CARs. and what do they do the CARs, as i told you a few minutes ago will recognize and bind to specific proteins acting now as antigens and those proteins are being expressed from cancer cells okay so now you get the whole story about how id is involved remember that's a negative regulator of transcription factors often found in immune cells id3 is the one we're talking about here and now you understand what chimeric antigen receptor t-cell therapy is those are all just things you need to understand at the get-go all right Now, the model for how these chimeric antigen receptor T-cells stop functioning, remember, has something to do with an increase in SOX4 and ID3, which basically act as transcriptional repressor Mm -hmm. proteins by corrupting normal transcription factor complex binding to DNA to regulate whatever the suite of genes are necessary to give you the full complement activated immune cell lineage, Now, as it turns out, remember this is in a tumor cell environment. When you add these CAR T cells, when you get a continuous exposure to antigen, what you then get is an alteration in multiple biochemical phenotypes, okay? What are they? When you have a continuous antigen exposure to CAR-T cells in the tumor microenvironment, solid tumors, you get a decrease in cytokine production over time. You get a decrease in the proliferation of the CAR-T cells. You get a decrease in the overall cytotoxicity of the CAR-T cells. Okay. Those are some phenotypes, all biochemical signatures we've talked about. At the same time, what you see pathophysiologically at the molecular level in these CAR T cells that are now exposed to antigen and no longer functioning to control tumor growth, you get a real high uptick in chromatin retailoring, some of which is epigenetic. That is linked directly to a dysfunctional molecular epigenetic signature and at the same time now this is really interesting you get an increase of these car t cells expressing natural killer cell surface receptors so see what i was before telling you and i've been saying this for years in immunology lectures these immune cells are not terminally differentiated not like we normally think of as for example a terminally differentiated uh, a a typical hematopoietic cell that's going to turn into say a platelet right or a thrombocyte or certainly not like um, stem cells uh, ultimately turn into organ terminal differentiation such as a hepatocyte or a myocyte now immune cells can de-differentiate and then go through a different differentiation program, molecular program. And they can even cross over into different cellular subtypes that move out of the lineage they were initially derived from. And this is all happening naturally while these cells are in circulation. And it's part of their effector function as immune cells. So we're discovering this because we're, we're poking at it with these pharmacotherapeutic, for example, chimeric antigen receptor T cells. And we're saying, gee, why aren't these working in tumor cell environments? What we're discovering, it's because these T cells are de-differentiating and they're starting to pick up a natural killer cell, not a typical T cell, like a TH2 cell phenotype which is totally different than what I was describing to you several lectures ago about you know, T cell differentiation. CD, the double positive, CD4 positive, CD8 positive, then separating out CD4 going off the TH uh, lineage, including TRAG and the CD8 lineage, which has uh, phenocopies of the CD4 positive helper cells. These are effector cells. But also earlier in that pathway, the natural killer cell line, right? And also the cytotoxic T lymphocytes, which are carb-carrying CD8-positive. All right? So this isn't confusing. It just means these cells that we first named don't maintain their same cellular signature. It doesn't mean it's dysfunctional. All right? So it's most curious. But to me, it makes perfect sense because these are immune cells. So they're going to go through morphological de differentiation to accommodate their immune agency right just like the production of all the different proteins they get expressed and secreted by these cells the cells themselves go through morphological characteristics which are basically involved in just alterations of biochemical signatures ultimately and this can lead to transcription factor alterations as well as you well know and i've just described to you now More about this T-cell energy or exhaustion. It is a differential state and it's acquired. It's acquired de differential or direct differential state. And it occurs in all T-cells when they are persistently exposed to antigen stimulation. So there's nothing unusual about this either constant exposure of antigen presentation by a dendritic cell, for example, would suggest that whatever was going on in the infection or the tumor or the uh, altered dysfunctional expression of a polypeptide in the cell because something went wrong with normal uh, cell metabolism, that if you, if you are exposing T cells to this antigen in a idiosyncratic, chronic level, what the T cell ultimately could do if it was uncontrolled and didn't become exhausted is it would turn into an anti-inflammatory um, response initially by shutting down, shutting down the T cell response. But if it became a chronic hmm. expression of this T cell amplification what you would get then is autoimmune disease. And I've been saying for a long time after studying the literature and and studying these T cells and all the different interesting things they do, I'm convinced that the three major causes, ultimately, of disease leading to mortality in humans, besides what we talk about with the diseases like cancer, cardiovascular disease, The other one I always see surfacing, but often does goes undetected is autoimmune compromise. Autoimmune compromise can be deadly, obviously. Sometimes these are just allergic reactions when a person's younger, but if you have a chronic induction out of autoimmune, and sometimes we see it's like in lupus, which is much more, uh, dangerous disease, right? But still doesn't necessarily kill till much later in life. What I'm saying is the whole restructuring of that pathophysiology and the naming of diseases is in the future. I can see that much in the future. I'm I'm not I'm not a prophet that likes to predict things in science, but I think it's already there in the literature. What I'm suggesting is that major causes of morbidity and mortality that are normally linked to other pathological phenotypes probably ultimately will be shown To be better organized categorically into chronic autoimmune disorders that's what i'm saying okay so let's continue on this discussion if you fail to eliminate an antigen in that antigen presentation you will ultimately then in the t-cell response get a progressive loss of effector function right because again constantly hammering those t-cells with antigen means it's an overexposure so the t-cells are going to respond by slowing down their inflammatory if it is an inflammatory induction because if they don't the entire system then will go beyond what can be controlled you'll be making t-memory cells you'll be making a whole host of t-effector cells and you could kill or at least destroy a great deal of tissue. Before that, finally then is reprimanded, reprimanding the T-cell response. And then at that point, after that reprimand, the halting of that T-cell response can still lead to a long sequelae of disease state, which is overshooting the mark that may be necessary to control a simple infection or a benign tumor growth. Just neoplasia. You see how that works, right? So, what, what do you see in T cell exhaustion? You see, as I just said, a reduction in effector function. But you also see at the molecular level, and that's what we're discussing in here in this suite of lectures, very specific epigenetic control over transcriptional gene expression. You get a sustained expression of multiple inhibitory receptors and proteins. Hello, ID2, ID3, SOX4, etc. right? Lacking that basic DNA binding domain, inhibiting the heterodimerization of normal B-H-L-H transcription factors. Therefore, controlling what? The agency of the immune cell. Ultimately, you can get defective, and this would go along with the same argument cytokine synthesis, secretion, and increased chemokine expression, which would associate with a limited proliferative capacity. Because when you get an increased chemokine expression, it means you're generating this chemokine gradient, and the gradient is more about trafficking of this T cell population than it is continually activating it because you don't want to activate the t-cell far from the source of the chemokine gradient right you don't need to produce pro-inflammatory cytokines somewhere in the circulatory system that is far removed from the site of infection or tumorigenesis or neoplasia so see the two are linked cytokine production chemokine production are linked one is trafficking that's the chemokine gradient and cytokines of course are going to initiate some of that kinokine production, but at the same time, those are going to be the real effector molecules, which are going to either amplify or ultimately shut down, depending on the cytokine um, molecular pattern, the inflammatory response. So when you look at genes upregulated in exhausted CD8 positive, tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, we talked about these before, They're affectionately called TILs, T-I-L apostrophe S. If you look at those from patients and you look at TILs from various murine models, knockouts, of course, you're able to start to identify some of the genes which restrain tumor immunity. And those include three genes. We talked about two of these in the past, one we have not yet the L-A-Y-N we talked about, the T-O-X I have not discussed probably in a couple of years, and then the GATA-3, which is a transcription. Okay. Now, besides that, if you look at studies using CRISPR-Cas9 knock-in knock-out studies in murine models or in human CDA-positive T-cells, you pick up other targets. There's a whole host of other genes here. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'll tell you one, TGF-beta receptor 2, because that one has been known, and we've talked about it many times in the past, to modulate what? T-cell effector function. I've got to check my time here. I want to go over. Oh, bye for now.